This is KUAF 91.3 FM in Fayetteville, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. And you're listening to a special episode of Ozarks at Large. Thanks for tuning in on this first day of June. I'm Daniel Carruth, a producer and reporter for Ozarks at Large, filling in this week for Kyle Kellams. In today's episode, we're getting deep into conversation, talking about motherhood, mental health, place, and identity. And these conversations are all part of our newest project at KUAF, The Listening Lab. The project is funded by the Walmart Foundation's Creating Community in Northwest Arkansas through Bridging and Belonging initiatives. Before we get into those big topics, though, we wanted to hear a bit more about what exactly this new storytelling project is. You're listening to Ozarks at Large. I'm Daniel Carruth, and I'm joined in the Karantaha News Studio by Emerson Alexander. Emerson, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? Doing all right. And you are our coordinator, our wizard for the <laughs> listening lab. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Can you tell us just a little bit, you know, what is the listening lab? Uh, yes, yeah, so the listening lab is basically an opportunity for community members to find common ground, share experiences, record oral history, and just general tell stories of Northwest Arkansas um, and how. There are, you know, a lot of transplants here. There's also a lot of people that have been here for forever, and it, and it's, and we all live up here, so it's interesting to to share those stories with one another. Yeah, and well, speaking of transplants, you know, you have come from California. Uh, you're here now. You took this job. What about it was was interesting to you? Why did you want to? I don't know. Why did you want to do this and, and head this up? I guess. I guess the main reason why the job really appealed to me is because of that, because of the sense of community, so many different people from so many different backgrounds. I mean, since since I left to California and coming back, it just so much has changed and everything's grown. And there's so, again, so many different cultures and different types of people here. So um, I don't know. I think that's really interesting. And I think there's a lot that people want to say. Yeah. And so far you've had three conversations. So it started in, in May, was the very beginning of it, when it was uh, inaugurated. Uh, you've had three conversations. We're going to hear some of those later in today's episode. Can you just sort of walk me through what those conversations were about and how you came to kind of choose those topics, I guess? Yes. Yeah, so we did, like you said, we launched uh, in May. And uh, being that it was Mother's Day or Mother's, you know, Mother's Day month, we had this idea to do a conversation between two mothers, a younger mother and an older mother, and just kind of have them chat about motherhood and, you know, the, what's what's interesting, what's fun, what's scary at times, the sacrifices that they make. So that was really cool. It was a really neat dynamic between the two ladies. And then we had, um, and then the next conversation we had was for, because again with May, um, Mental Health Awareness Month, so we had the CAPS people from the U of A from Counseling and Psychological Services come in and um, a couple of the therapists and the clinicians talked about the importance of having um, good mental health and reaching out if you need to talk to people, taking the time out from, you know, the hustle and bustle of life and all that stuff because, yeah, people get really bogged down about that stuff and 
especially especially these days with everything that's going mm-hmm. on in the world. So that was really cool talking to them. And then lastly, to finish off the month, we had Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month or talk for the month. So we had a talk with uh, a couple of um, students and non-students from the area that have come from different, all different backgrounds of, of Asia. Um, so that was really cool. And um, Yeah, and one thing that I love about this and, and you know, if anyone listens to Morning Edition and maybe hears like the StoryCorps on Fridays, this is kind of what that's modeled after. And it's, I love it because it's not professional interviewers. It's two people who are having a conversation. And I'm wondering, like, since you're coordinating this, how has it been to, I guess, like get people into like the groove of a conversation? Has it been hard to like get people to open up or to chat? Yeah, you're right. It is interesting because like you said, it's not technically a formal interview, yeah. and and I'm not leading the interviews right. most of the time. Um, but yeah, it is it is kind of an interesting dynamic. Like for example, with the Mother's Day one, these two ladies, they didn't know each other at all, mm-hmm. um, but they had that common ground of like, hey, we're mothers, and you know, like I said, the older mother was like, oh yeah, I remember this stuff has some stuff that the younger mother's going through, and so they could kind of you know, build that rapport or have that rapport. Uh, I mean, that's the main part of it, right? Yeah. Getting these people to open up and talk about whatever topic might be that that either we pick. Like, for example, in June, we really want to focus on, like, the Juneteenth celebration as well as Pride Month. So having some people come in and talk about that would be really great. I think it's easier once people start to talk, yeah. you know, you know how it is at mm-hmm. the beginning, they're kind of like, well, I don't know, like, mm, man, <laughs> kind of like me right now. Um, but, but yeah, once they start talking and opening up and it gets more uh, natural. Yeah. I think if, if it gets natural, yeah. And it flows better yeah. or easier. And so who can, how is this going to work in the future? You know, who can use the listening lab? How do you access it? What should people know? I guess if you're in the community and you're like, well, that sounds interesting. Maybe I know someone who would want to have a conversation, even if it doesn't fit into one of these maybe topics that we have going. How do they access it? What do they do? Yeah, and that's the beauty of the listening lab. But it doesn't have to be specifically, you know, whatever that month is, you know, like I said, pride or patriotism for July or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever topics come up and – but if we go to if you go to the website, which is kuaflisteninglab.com, there you can fill out a form, and you can tell us your story. You can say, "Hey, you know, the other day I was thinking about this," or you know, my best friend and I we always talk about this stuff, or mm-hmm. whoever whoever you want to chat with, or if or yeah, if you just have an idea for for a topic, and you and you would like to speak on that, then you know, I can probably find somebody else to talk to, to you about it. So in the future, you know, down the line, what's kind of the the big picture for this? What do we hope to, to get out of having the listening lab here at KUAF? I think big picture is just that, like I said, to establish more of a common ground between all types of members from the community. And this is all over Northwest Arkansas, because through the grant from the Walmart Foundation, we have um, 
the mobile listening lab. So we can come to an event or come to to the person, to whoever, um, and record there and get get that story, yeah. get those stories. What Are there any stories that you're kind of like interested to hear? Anything that you are kind of excited about in the future that maybe hasn't fully fleshed out yet? Yeah, so some conversations that I'm excited to hear that we haven't fully, fully fleshed out because, again, it doesn't have to be themed from the month or anything. Um, but um, I know that we have the KUAF 50th anniversary coming up. So that one I'm really looking forward to, to get not only people from the community that obviously listen to the station and whatnot, but also us that work here. Like me being new, you know, some Kyle that's been here for forever. And, yeah, I'm just getting all of of us to talk. And, um, yeah, a lot of other subjects that that are really interesting. Um, I mean, anything from pets, because those are very important in people's yeah. lives. You know, they, I mean, they become part of our family. So that could be a fun one. Uh, faith, you know, living up here and everything, and just all kinds of different types of faith. That one should be really fun, too. And, yeah, let's see what, uh, see what we get. All right, sounds good. Uh, finally, where can people go? The website one more time. So the website is kuaflisteninglab.com. And you've got video as well, right? So there's also not just audio. We, we have multimedia here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you go to KUAFListeningLab.com, you can click on the Share Your Story button and then fill out a form there. And that form will come to us. And like I said, we'll, uh, we'll try and schedule you in, see if we come in and tell a story. And yeah, and we're uh, filming it too. So posting it, posting uh, just snippets and stuff from all these conversations on the website. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. All right. Well, thanks, Emerson, for coming in and, and talking to us about it. Appreciate right. it. Thank you. That was Listening Lab coordinator Emerson Alexander speaking with me in the Karen Taha News Studio this week. This is Ozarks at Large. A Prairie Grove listener said, My husband and I appreciate that KUAF and NPR utilize integrity and journalism. True journalism is becoming more and more of a rarity these days, which is why it's good to know KUAF and NPR is there for us. In June, KUAF is raising $50,000 to celebrate being there for our listeners and fund the programming you trust. Help KUAF provide news and information. Go online to support KUAF.com. You're listening to Ozarks at Large. I'm Daniel Carruth. In this first conversation from the Listening Lab, which took place just before Mother's Day, we heard from two moms, Rhonda and Amira. They had never met before, but they ended up discussing some of their joys, hardships, and even the funny moments of raising their kids. Here's that conversation. Hi, I'm Rhonda. And I live in Northwest Arkansas, and I'm a mother of three grown boys. I'm 67. My boys are 45, 40, and 37, and they live, one lives in California, and the other two live here in Northwest Arkansas. I have seven grandchildren. Uh, Hello, my name's Amira. Um, I'm from Northwest Arkansas, and I have three children, um, ages 10, 8, and 5. 
and I am 25 years old. So hi, Amira, I'm Rhonda. And um, just want to talk to you about your memories of something really funny that happened to you as a mother. Um, hello, I'm Amira. And um, something funny that happened to me when um, it was actually when I was pregnant. Um, I was a teen mom and mm-hmm. um, I was in, I would say, eighth grade when I had um, when I was pregnant with my first daughter. And um, the school always uh, made sure to make me feel included. Uh-huh. And so everyone um, was riding bikes. And I just uh, have this like really funny memory of me being pregnant, but also being included and riding a tricycle. <laughs> and I just thought it was like very sweet of them to still include me uh-huh. and I came home and I told my mom how, how much fun I had had. <laughs> that's good. That's, yes. that's sweet. Um, how about you? Well, um, having three boys, there was a lot of moments that probably weren't funny at the time, but then looking back at them, they, they were pretty funny. So one particular funny moment, I remember uh, going to Um, a museum and we were looking at all the exhibits and then I turn around and my little toddler had stuck his head through iron uh, post on a railing and so we couldn't get him out and you know was gathering a crowd watching the uh, episode play out and finally figured out that if we turned him sideways his body was small enough to pull him through the iron rails oh my goodness (laughs) so that was typical boy you know activities just getting into messes all the time Was there anything in particular that your parents uh, did when you were a kid that you swore you would never do as a parent yourself? Um, Yes, I think it would be, there's a lot of things actually that Mm -hmm. sometimes we say, I'm never doing that, but then you grow up to be a parent and you catch yourself doing the same Uh things. Um, Nothing bad, but I think um, just like, my parents never pushed me to do sports. Right. <laughs> um, and for my kids, I want to push them to their full potential. And that was that was my fault. That wasn't their fault. Uh-huh. It was just I was more of a, um, I didn't want to do it. And right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and then there's also like those things like, ah, when I grow up, I'm never going to make my kid clean uh-huh. like you did. Right. Or, right. But yeah. And then you see the, the need for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. We need to teach them. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um I had great parents also, and, um, you know, everything that they they did raising me, I felt like, was, you know, good teaching skills and all. The only, when I was thinking about this, the only thing that I can think of is they taught me to always clean my plate, you know, and then I, I as an adult, I realized that, man, that's a problem because I overeat because I'm, you know, don't want to leave anything left on the plate, and mm-hmm. so that was one thing that maybe I didn't enforce, you know, when you're full, it's fine to, to leave the food on the plate. Yes. So you have older children and your younger children. So how have your fears changed from when you were just a brand new mom to now? Um, I feel like uh, as a as a mother, like in any stage, I feel like we always have fears. Mm-hmm. Um, but particularly one is... Um, one of my biggest fears was not being able to um, maybe make it in life. Um, 
in that sense, I mean, like, as in, like, you know, death happens right. or my kid's not growing up without me. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my biggest fears or in labor. Like, mm-hmm. just things can go left at any time. Right. Um, that's just been one of my biggest fears ever. But um, how about you? Well, you know, being in um, my children are all grown and, you know, have their own children now. And I... I realize that as a young mom you know you worry about like what you said you know making sure that you're always there for them making sure they have plenty to eat making sure you know they don't get hurt and um, then as as a mom of adult children your fears change completely you know because now you're worrying about you know their struggles in life you know their marriages and their children and and the struggles that they are going through and um the the fears never leave you as a mom oh. you know no matter how old you are how old your children are you still fear for them and you want the best for them and um you know that just never leaves you as a mom no i agree it's never ending <laughs> right yes. right That was Rhonda and Amira. Their conversation took place last month in the Listening Lab at KUAF. You're listening to Ozarks at Large. Support for KUAF comes from Woodstone Pizza, located on South School Avenue in Uptown on Mall Avenue in Fayetteville. Wood-fired pizzas, salads, local beers, and wines are available for dine-in and curbside from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday. WoodstoneCraftPizza.com for menus and more. Good morning. My name is Julie Odom. I live in Farmington. Hello. My name is Nisi Nemec, and I live in Fayetteville. Hi. This is Kalela from Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Just leaving my comments about Mother's Day. And I want to honor for Mother's Day my mother, Helen Lucille Thompson, who graduated in 1939 from the U of A, married Seth Thompson, who is editor of The Traveler, Uh, She was an artist, a biologist, she was a citizen archaeologist, studied bees, read Shakespeare, wrote novels and poetry. Can't say enough great things about my mother. She passed at the age of 56, and really, I miss her every day and every week and every month. Mother Day used to mean for me getting together with my mom, Sometimes she would have some frozen okra in the freezer and she would fry that up so nice and crisp and fix her other good foods. But now Mother's Day means going and sitting on her memorial bench at the Botanical Garden. And I love going there and uh, communing with my mom, who is always with me, but I love being there where she was an active volunteer and I feel a part of her lives on there. About this time last year, I found out I was pregnant with my first son, and this year I'm having my first Mother's Day as a mother to him. Um, He's four months old right now, and he is just the apple of my eye. And it just brings to mind all those experiences that I've had with my mom, hoping to recreate those with my son, and maybe make our own new memories together. It also reminds me to be gentle with myself 
and be gentle with my own mom because we are all trying to do the best <laughs> with what we've been given. And so this Mother's Day, I'm really trying to give grace to myself and others. Thanks. Thank you, KUAF, for letting me share this with you all. Bye. Last month, KUAF asked listeners to give us some of their thoughts on Mother's Day to share in conjunction with the KUAF Listening Lab Mother's Day conversation. But you know, you can always share your voice with your NPR station through the KUAF Connects line. Just drop us a message when you call 479-575-6577. This upcoming month, we want to hear from LGBTQIA listeners about your experience living in our region for Pride Month. Again, that's the KUAF Connects line, 479-575-6577. On KUAF, your voice matters. You're listening to Ozarks at Large on KUAF 91.3. You can tune in by asking your smart speaker to play KUAF or go online to KUAF.com. I'm Daniel Carruth. Coming up, our next conversation from the Listening Lab took place in early May to highlight mental health awareness. A group of four healthcare professionals from the area sat down to discuss some of the misconceptions, challenges, and the importance of addressing mental health needs. My name is Brianne Carter, and I am the Assistant Director for Marketing and Communications for the Pat Walker Health Center at the University of Arkansas. So my name is Jennifer Morris. I am the SEER Program Coordinator in SEER's Substance Education Assessment and Recovery. It's a mouthful. Carlos Acosta, Family Physician and Assistant Medical Director at Pat Walker Health Center. So I'm Dr. Josette Klein. I am a psychologist and I am the director of CAPS, which is Counseling and Psychological Services at the Pat Walker Health Center at the University of Arkansas. What we know about mental health prior to the pandemic is that folks coming into the counseling center, the number one thing that they were reporting was anxiety stress, distress, anxiety, we can call it a lot of different things. And sort of moving through the pandemic and then now, I don't know if we can say we're post-pandemic, we promised Carlos we wouldn't talk about COVID, Um, but we know that the anxiety continues to be the number one thing that people are presenting with. And if you dive down into that a little bit deeper, the type of anxiety that is most Um, often described is social anxiety, isolation, disconnection, which is causing social anxiety. So that's something that we, I, I believe certainly, if it's to a fairly substantial level, can be addressed with a counselor in the counseling center. But I think we need to look more broadly across our campus in lots of different ways to to address this issue of social isolation um, and this issue of social anxiety 
by finding ways to be more connected, to be more connected as a community, to um, have more of a sense of belonging across campus. And as a university, we certainly are looking at ways to make that happen. But I think if the number one presenting issue at this point in time is social anxiety, then that speaks to what we need to do to address it. If it's socially based, then we need to address it socially, address it as a whole population on campus and not just one entity or another. I mean, there's so many, like on campus, but not just on campus, I mean, we can speak to the broader population, but finding a community that you feel welcomed in. I deal with substance abuse. so. The reason why things like NA and AA work so well is because they, they find this community where they get that connection and they have people who have similar struggles, not the exact same, obviously. But, um, and on campus, you know, there's a wide variety of um, organizations that people can be a part of so they can find something that, that fits. Um, and then, you know, I've dealt with a lot of people who've made big moves in their lives and one of the first things, you know, that I talked to them about is, you know, what things are you interested in? How are you reaching out to others who might be interested in the same things that, that you're interested in? Because that gives you just one easy way to be connected with somebody if you already have something that y'all are all interested in. Yeah, I, I would say with that is just a Take inventory of, of where you are as you are feeling. Because um, like we were saying, everybody's needs are different and everybody's place is different. And speaking specifically to campus, there are many resources in different areas. So your need may be literally hunger. You may not have access to food. There are places on campus where there are um, options to help with that. And there is a specific, I think, UA Cares, hopefully, I, I, I'm speaking truth in here. Um, they're able to, to help guide, maybe provide some, some resources or at least information on, hey, you need food, you know, let's, here's, here's some options. There's different options on campus. Um, and if, if you're, as you take inventory and, and anxiety is the main concern, there, there are resources. Go to the Pat Walker Health Center website and, there are resources that CAPS has, whether they are groups or workshops or um, at different points, there's different apps and different suggestions that can be used and, and that can be helpful. Or if maybe I mean, an example is you, you had a sudden change in just your health and you are having anxiety, but you're having anxiety with dizziness and heart racing and you're having nausea and you're waking up in the middle of the night, well, you might have a medical problem and then come talk to me. Um, and we will kind of evaluate that as well. So it is, the first step is just take inventory and take inventory of you're not feeling well, you're not doing well. Just take five minutes. It's crazy how often, and I include myself, we don't take five minutes a day to just think and breathe and say, all right, I am not doing well today. Why? And process through that. And, and maybe the answer won't come. And in that case, again, talk to caps. Um, no, but, but most of the time you can, you, you will have an idea. And, and just one more quick thing with that is we all have pain and pain can be fatigue. At the end of the day, 
we all have pain. And that can be pain from physical pain. It could be isolation. It, can, it could be just a number of things. So what, what are you doing to address that pain? So at the end of the day, a lot of people use, you know, are you drinking wine at night or, or whatever you drink at night for social reasons or because you're having, you're tired, you're anxious. Um, we see a lot of people using marijuana. Are you doing, what are you using marijuana for? Uh, is it because you can't sleep? Is it because you're anxious? And the, depending the answer on that is what resource you're going to connect with. Um, so take inventory, take literally five minutes, breathe, think through, why am I hurting? And based on that answer, try to find resources on campus and we have different options. Well, and, and I think one of the things that's been helpful is that as a society, we've been more willing to have these open conversations about mental health, wellness, and well-being. We start talking to kids in kindergarten about how are you doing, and if you're not doing well, talk to somebody. Um, and so we have a generation of students coming to campus now who are much more willing to talk about how they're doing, much more willing to talk about mental health. And I think that's a really good thing that uh, we are reducing stigma and we are talking about it more. So I think that's one thing that helps people stop and address their mental health or assess how they're doing because we're it's sort of become part of our conversation. Um, and anything we can do to keep that going, I think helps people normalize uh, feelings of anxiety or feeling down. I mean, these are, these are things that exist along a continuum. We all feel anxious at certain points in time. We all have a, a depressed or down mood at certain points in time. You know, they said to us, we're going to come and talk on the radio today. Well, if that's not something that you do every day, the normal human response is to feel a little bit anxious about that. So normalizing that we all feel a bit anxious at times, especially in novel or new situations, and we, we roll with that. Um, there's a psychologist that talks about feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, letting, letting fear be the co-pilot but not slow you down. So understanding that at lower levels, anxiety is very normative. We all experience that just like a downer, depressed mood at times. It really depends on how much that's, and I think, Carlos, this is what you were referring to, how much does it impact your functional your functioning, your functional impairment. So I think we can expand the discussion of mental health and if more people are talking about it and more people are comfortable talking about it, then that breaks down the social isolation. If I feel more comfortable really telling you how I'm doing today, whether that's doing well or not doing well, then, and if I feel like other people are receptive to that conversation, if we can create a community that's truly receptive to conversations about mental health, wellness, and well-being, then the social isolation reduces. Yeah, I think the, the method of communication also differs between people. And so, you know, with the pandemic picking up and, and TikTok and social media and people sharing, becoming more comfortable to share with, like, their audience or um, their peers via social media, what their struggles are um, has, has become a thing. Or if your method of communication is you'd rather talk to a therapist um, via phone 
then that option's there. Or if you feel more comfortable talking to your professor or your peers, and then your peers know how to also help you get that help that you may need. Um, so I think the, the communication level is also important and a factor there as well. Yeah. I think it goes back to what Gisette's opening story, in my opinion. Not only do we need to have these conversations, but we need to broaden what it looks like for mental health so that counseling is not the only avenue to that. I mean, primary care physicians and doctors, they deal with it all the time as well, right? But there's so many other avenues and opening up that conversation so that whenever people come and talk to lay people, whether it's a a pastor, a teacher, or other people in the community, they don't have to be like, well, your only resource is to go to a counselor. There are other, there are so many other ways to help be healthy and, you know, finding those ways and helping people be able to find them to me is is really important so that everyone can be a part of that conversation and not just a one one way street to one avenue. There's there's such a body and mind connection if our if our body is stressed and uh, I'm wandering into Carlos's area here, but if your body is really stressed, it's going to be difficult to feel really mentally healthy. So we have lots of um, ways to interact with physical activity across our campus too. One of our most popular things that we do at the Pat Walker Health Center is some yoga classes and just getting your body moving. I'm mm-hmm. let you take that one, but No, I've absolutely and I um what you're both saying, what, what Jennifer was saying, some people I'm I'm reading the book right now called Born to Run and it's 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 interesting, just all the it's it's kind of wild, but uh, just running. Like some people were running was the way that they dealt with a lot of things, and it helped them. And I kind of um, decompensated into maybe some not super healthy behaviors at one point. But it is uh, so exercise, exercise. We have an exercises medicine initiative on campus, and. It, it is true, and their exercise does help um, check a lot of boxes. Uh, but that may not be the answer for everybody. So movement, again, is, you know, is the whole go touch grass, look at, step outside, spend some time in the sun and walk. That is all true, um, and that checks my box. So exercise really fills my cup, but it may not fill somebody else's cup. Um, I think another super popular thing that CAPS does is they bring dogs. You guys still do that? Um, is it during finals or when, when is it? Right before finals. Right before finals, they have like their, their dogs and, and that really fills some people's cups. Um, so it's, it, it's a little different. So circling back to exercise, that movement is, is great. Um, it, it is hard if we have some students who are working two jobs and going to school and are taking care of family. So it's unreasonable for me to say, hey, and go run for 30 minutes and, you know, like go lift for 45 minutes and then maybe meditate for half an hour. And they'll go like, all right, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we will not do that. Um, but but maybe for them is, is, some, is something else that can take 10 to 15 minutes so they can work into their day. Um, that could just be just a 10-minute walk or it could be something that is not exercise at all for that stage of their life. Maybe they just need to meet with a friend twice a week for 30 minutes, 
during their lunch break, and that fills the cup for that week. Well, somebody, I mean, all of us have experienced this, right, and and what we do, but dealing with addictions, this, you know, the wellness wheel, these eight things, trying to help the person figure out for them what avenue to take that's really going to help. Really, we touch on all of that whenever I'm touching with addiction, even financial stuff. I mean, I go back to the financial, but then you've got your spiritual and your occupational, which for us, you know, as students, but some of our students have careers as well that they're building. And, you know, and that's what, um, they, you know, that's what I like about mental health too. And substance abuse is, you know, a lot of people look at it as like almost hopeless at times. But honestly, whenever you look at it in a bigger picture, like what we're talking about as a wellness thing, there's so many avenues you can take to get to wellness. Like Dr. Costa was saying, it, you know, physical, maybe one, but meditation or that social interaction. And to me, I love that because that brings hope, which is one of the biggest things that we're trying to do for mental health is to give people hope. So when you look at all of this, you have lots of options. That was Brianne Carter, Jennifer Morris, Carlos Acosta, and Gisette Klein. Their conversation in the Listening Lab took place early last month. You're listening to Ozarks at Large. The third annual Ozark Beer Company Cardboard Regatta is June 11th at Lake Atlanta in Rogers. Teams and onlookers are invited to participate in the -the over-the-top spectacle. Prizes will be awarded. Proceeds benefit the Rogers Public Educational Foundation. OzarkBeerCompany.com slash regatta for registration, rules, and more. This is a special episode of Ozarks at Large. I'm Daniel Carruth. Coming up in our final conversation, we spotlight Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. KUAF intern and University of Arkansas student Fawn Gao spoke with fellow U of A student Abdullah Asif in a wide-ranging conversation on culture, family, religion, and food. Okay, so Abdullah, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Sure. My name's Abdullah Asif. I'm currently a second year at the University of Arkansas, and I'm studying biochemistry and Arabic. Okay. My name is Fawn. My uh, full name is Rilin Gao. I will be starting my first semester of my second master program of the Netherlands. I just graduated two years ago of my first master program in industrial engineering, and I am from China. Awesome. I guess I should mention that I'm also from or I guess my parents were from India. Mm-hmm. I was born here. But I know that. I guess we'll get into this. This is yeah. Asian American, Pacific Islander. That's yes. the whole theme of this. So, yeah. How's your um, How's your family doing? My family's doing really well. So actually, uh, I live with them right now. And so I see them all the time. I see them every day. And so they're all doing really, really good, thankfully. How do you feel about going home every day? And no, like, how do you feel about going home every day and feel like your mom will be cooking food? Do you know? Do you know? Well, do you know what's dinner tonight? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 an Indian dish called kofte kofte ande. It's I guess it's equivalent to like meatballs, but they're like spicy, and you also have eggs in them as well. And so <laughs> it's really nice going home and knowing mom's. My mom is super sweet, and she's awesome, amazing. She always cooks for us. Uh, yeah, that's one of like the 
things I know that I have, I have the best for myself because even though I'm attending university, I still live at home with my parents 30 minutes away. So I just commute back and forth home to university. And then, yeah, mom's cooking is something that I definitely try not to take for granted because all my friends have told me, like, how lucky I am while they always have to suffer with, like, the dining hall food and whatnot. Well, you'll see. Yeah, I still get my mom's wonderful cooking, so. Will you learn them? Hmm? Will you learn them? Learn them? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, one of my goals this summer, actually, is to learn how to make a bunch of dishes and whatnot. That's right now, really like, good. my cooking abilities are very, very basic, but I'm going to try to learn from my mom, and so I hope to be more of a chef. So my story of my mother's cooking is my mother is the worst chef in this entire universe. <laughs> no, you can't say <laughs> that. <laughs> what? So first of all, my mother doesn't believe in seasoning. She thinks that what all the seasonings are actually bad for you. They're okay. not good for your health. Yeah. So she doesn't like to put any seasonings in whatever she's cooking. Mm-hmm. And she's also a very efficient person. She likes to be very efficient. Yeah. So whenever we're, we're, we are eating something, let's say we'll have like bread, we'll have like pork, mm-hmm. beef, vegetables, and rice, like three dish and one main dish yeah. for dinner. She likes to mix all the ingredients into one and make them one dish. And we'll just eat that one dish. Just like mix everything all together. Yes. And imagine, so it would be like that, but without any seasonings. Without any seasoning. Yes. I think that actually made me more picky about food. More picky about food. I actually really like the Pakistan food that I had in all your events, actually. It's oh, really? really good. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. We did put a lot of work into that. What about Chinese food? Have you ever had any Chinese food? Yes. Uh, I don't have as often as I'd like to because I have dietary restrictions. I'm Muslim and I have to eat halal meat and whatnot. You can't find a lot of halal Chinese restaurants here. But when you go to Dallas, where like the Muslim community is huge, there's a lot of halal Chinese restaurants there. And so I love having uh, Chinese food there and whatnot. What's the dietary restriction for Muslims? The dietary restrictions are that we can't eat pork. But then aside from that, for some Muslims, uh, the meat that they eat has to be slaughtered a specific way. And so... If if the meat is slaughtered a specific way, it is called halal, which means permissible in Arabic. And so if the meat is slaughtered that specific way, then we're allowed to eat that. Uh, so recently, actually, Tyson in Bentonville and Fayetteville started using halal meat and whatnot. And so now all like the Chick-fil-A's and Cane's in the areas are now halal. And so I, I used to never like have them before, but now I can go ahead and try them if I want to now. And so I'll, I'll, I don't eat out too much, but I'll probably try it sometime soon. What's the point of halal? Why? What's the? What do you think is the significance of halal? The significance of halal is well. First of all, it's just what God commanded, and so as a Muslim, it means one who submits to God, and so whatever God commanded is what we obey. But aside from that, halal is a bit more of a humane slaughter. So the ruling behind halal is that whenever you kill the animal, you first have to lay it down. You have to give it water before it before you slaughter it. You have to point its head in a specific direction. We pray towards Mecca. So whenever we slaughter the animal, we also slaughter it towards Mecca. And then you have to slaughter the neck in a clean, like, swift slice so it doesn't feel much pain. And then you let the blood flow out as well. So we don't like any blood in our meat and whatnot. So in that sense, it's also a lot cleaner and whatnot. But that is essentially, like, the, what the halal meat slaughter looks like. Why do you kill it in that direction? Hmm? Why do you kill it in that direction? We kill in that direction because essentially it's just what God commanded. It's 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 our way to slaughter it in an Islamic way. And so same reason that we pray towards Mecca, because God commanded us, we also slaughter the animals. 
face face towards that way whenever we do that as well. Have you seen that before? Yeah. So actually, one of the Islamic holidays is called Eid. And uh, on that holiday, actually, Muslims, every single family, actually, we go and we sacrifice an animal. And then... One every family. Yeah, so every, f every family, someone from the household has to slaughter an animal. And then one-third of it you share with your community, one-third you keep for yourself, and one-third you donate to the poor. And so actually, like, every single year I've seen this happen and whatnot. This year it actually be my turn to slaughter. How do you feel about slaughtering? How, how, what have this changed your, your you know, understanding been, of slaughtering? I've, I've been thinking about that, right? Because th I personally think I really like this practice because it's a very charitable act, the, how you donate it to the community and whatnot and how you donate it to the poor and needy and whatnot. But slaughtering myself is something I have never done. Like, I've never, like, I guess killed an animal before. But in, I hope this doesn't come out wrong. I've always, in a sense, just wanted not wanted to, but I just want an understanding of what that feels like, because I guess we're so desensitized from, like, what we eat, and, like, I guess I eat, like, chicken and meat, like, all the time and whatnot, right? But I've never actually done, like, the slaughtering or, like, the work that goes into it, and so I think that slaughtering it would be, like, a good experience for me, so I can, like, know the process behind, like, where my food comes from, and, like, because I guess a lot of people, right, like, they enjoy their meat, and, but if they were, if they were asked to go through the process, of obtaining that themselves. They'd, they'd be very be, disconnected. Yeah, they'd be very fearful or kind of like shook. I'm somewhat looking forward to it. I I pray that I won't be super like fearful or kind of hesitant or reluctant. I think for this practice, we know immediately or we know beforehand somehow why, what are we killing these animals for. Yeah. Like immediately they will go to the community, they'll go to the pool and they'll go back to ourselves. Yes. And we also did this together. Yeah. What's your what's your what's your biggest struggle with with the American culture and the Indian culture? What is my biggest struggle with American culture and Indian culture? Like maybe it might be sometime where I'll be falling through or mm -hmm. sometime you'll be struggling if I sh if I belong this, I belong this, what do I do I struggle? Do I mm -hmm. how do I come back to this? What was your biggest I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's not a super, I guess, like, deep answer, but I guess the biggest struggle I've had is with, uh, I guess I'm so much more well-versed. So I guess most of my values come from my parents who have typically raised me like an Indian culture fashion. But I think that a lot of my personality and a lot of my humor and language has all come from American culture. And so to that extent, you a lot of like multicultural kids have the struggle where in which they start to lose like their native language. I haven't necessarily lost it yet, but I definitely am getting a little bit sloppy in it and whatnot. And so it, it kind of like it hurts and kind of feels really bad or you can't talk to your grandparents that well anymore. Or, you know, you, you feel embarrassed that you're speaking like broken Hindi to your grandparents. And even though they're not going to judge you for it because they love you so much, grandparents love their grandchildren unconditionally almost. But y there's almost like a little bit of like guilt you feel. And, and like, I do want to work on that and make sure like I, you know, I at least do that for my parents. Like it would just be awful in the future if, you know, I were just to, you know, have my own family and just lose the language and become so just, you know, desensitized that, you know, when I see my parents every now and then, it becomes more difficult and more difficult for me to speak with them. That would be really kind of like shameful and embarrassing for me if that were to happen. So I guess retaining my language in America is one thing I definitely want to work on more so I don't lose myself in the future. 
what do you think will you think you'll be the same if you were born in india and if you if you were born in india and are you usually looking forward to someday visiting india or go to india and mm -hmm. i know that it seems like do you do you feel like you're always making a choice of choice between the indian culture and the american culture because from what i heard from you is mm -hmm. that the families are constantly choosing together we're constantly mm -hmm. you know we're reconciling we're loving each other even though we fight 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 a lot mm -hmm. if fight more than at the end we are back in a family it sounds like the families are constantly making choices with each other mm -hmm. choices of choosing our family so there are already like a lot of choice choosing inside a family do you feel like sure. you're going to make that choice when you step out of the family in the society that you always constantly feel like you need to make a choice uh no i don't have a super like besides like perhaps a language problem i mentioned to you i would not say there's a huge like cultural clash between me wanting to preserve my indian values here and having to pick between you know like you know american versus indian cultural values and whatnot because largely i guess in america like i feel like it's accepted that if if i want to if I want to be super like close knit with my family in the future and whatnot, and if I'm gonna live with my family and whatnot, I guess some people might ask me like awkward questions, like, "Hey, you still live with your parents and whatnot?" But typically, once I explain myself to them, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's, it's for this reason, this reason, that reason, we're super close and whatnot," most people are totally accepting. They're not gonna judge, and in fact, a lot of people have like your respect whenever I tell them that. And so, I've never really found it really difficult to kind of like balance out my identities or whatnot because if you explain yourself to most people they're extremely understanding and of course they get it at first they see you as an outsider but once you explain yourself everyone's typically pretty accepting here do you ever feel of being do you ever feel that this feeling has to come to you where like i am proud to be an asian american do you f feel that way i don't know I, I guess my my race isn't like something or something i've like think about too much i, I guess i more so think about my values and whatnot and so I think of my values of like, I guess how we discussed today, like family, religion, and culture. And so I feel like all of those things I'm inherently very, very proud of. And if they come from my Indian culture, my Muslim background, that of course it's very easy for me to be proud. What's your top three favorite things about your culture? What's your favorite, what's your second favorite, and what's your third favorite? Favorite things about my culture. I would say, I would put at number one, I would put family, friends, and community. There's just a certain just, Huh? That's family, friends, community, right? Okay, all right, all right, <laughs> fine. Can, can we not just make that one? Okay. <laughs> I just let you make that into one thing. Okay, okay, <laughs> you found right. Okay. That could be one. Sure, okay. we'll, we'll encompass it together as a sense of togetherness among the people. That's good. As one. Number two, I would say, let's see. There's a very big focus on hard work and obedience in my culture, which... I really like, I feel like uh, my parents, very, very hardworking. They also instilled with me a very, very hardworking ethic. I feel like a lot of people, a lot of parents I know, Indian parents, they share the similar attitudes. And I really like that my parents instilled that within me because I've grown up to be a better person, I think, in that sense. I'm pretty happy with how I've ended up. So I would put that in number two. <laughs> number three, it's, it's a boring answer, but I have to say probably just the food. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I really enjoy Indian food. Indian food is actually my mom. I th I think I told you this separately one time. My mom, she only makes Indian food. You did tell me that. Yeah, so she she does not make like any American food or whatnot at all. And so, but it's awesome. I have it all the time, and I've grown really accustomed to it. And so, whenever I go to people's house who make Indian food, it just 
reminds me of home and whatnot and so I so really you don't have much American food. I'm excited to hear what you think about the Chinese chicken and stuff. Oh yeah, no, I'm really excited to start trying more food and whatnot. Of course. Good. Um, thank you for meeting with me. I really appreciate you. I think thank I you had so a good much. Time. I did too. Thank you so much, Fawn. That was Fawn Gao and Abdullah Asif. That full conversation and the three previous listening lab chats are all available to listen to in their entirety now online at listeninglabkuaf. Hi, this is Lee Wood, KUAF's general manager. My favorite thing about summer is having my kids with me at work. It may sound like a pain, but there are perks to having a mom that works at a radio station. Stay tuned for KUAF next time at KUAF.org. <laughs> That's so weird. All right, let's go. This land is your land. This land is my land. I love public radio because it provides not just programming, but a platform for all of us, young and old, left, right, and center, from rural Arkansas to the busiest and biggest cities. I support public radio because I want my kids to grow up in a country that values the truth, honest and civil conversation, and lifelong curiosity and learning. Your gift at supportkuaf.com will keep this community of public radio lovers, young and old, thriving. This land is your land. This land is mine. This is KUAF 91.3 FM in Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Prairie Grove. You've been listening to a special episode of Ozarks at Large. Today's show featured content from The Listening Lab. The Listening Lab is a project of KUAF and is funded through a grant from the Walmart Foundation's Creating Community in Northwest Arkansas through Bridging and Belonging initiatives. All of these conversations and more are available to listen to online now at listeninglabkuaf.com. Today's show was produced in the Karantaha News Studio. Coming up on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large, we have another archive episode, this time featuring some of the best live music and performances from the past year. Until then, I'm Daniel Carruth. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.